I'm excited to get into this series. Uh, so we're starting a series in the book of Daniel, and the plan so far is to do a six-week series. It could go longer. We're not, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, I do have an outline of what I think the Lord um, has kind of drawn my attention to in the book of Daniel. And there's a lot in the book of Daniel that is very relevant to right now, the days that we live in. And so I'm excited um, to really get into it. We are going to talk about, and this is a, a question I've actually specifically been asked as a, as a pastor, is the question about um, civil disobedience and when to practice that and all this. Um, Daniel actually gives us a really good example of what that looks like, um, how he honored God in the midst of a really difficult and challenging time, and that's not the topic for, for today. That's just, that's just to kind of bait you a little bit, because you've you got to be here for this, <laughs> this series. So uh, anyway, I just, there's a lot to learn um, from Daniel, and uh, I was talking um, before the service a little bit to someone, and, and we were just talking about the book of Daniel, and one of the things that I've noticed in Daniel, whenever I study the scriptures, and you've, you know this if you've heard me talk about the scriptures and the people that we consider heroes, uh, but one of the things that I'm really drawn to in the scriptures is that all the people we consider heroes are really flawed, like really, really flawed people, okay? Um, and, and the reason that gives me hope is because I'm like, well, if God can use that guy or that woman, then he can definitely use me because we're all pretty aware of our mistakes and our failures and, and all the reasons why God shouldn't use us. Um, but if the scriptures teach us anything, it's that God can use flawed and broken people that trust him. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed when I study through the book of Daniel is that, and this is just kind of an overview, this isn't specifically where I'm going today, but you don't see any flaws in Daniel, this guy, as you read through the book of Daniel. Like, that's one of the things that I've read, like, whenever, and people talk about all the different heroes and characters of the Bible and, and all the different flaws and, and how, you know, the, the mistakes seem to be emphasized on purpose to give us hope. Well, Daniel's kind of one of these guys that stands out a little bit where there's, we don't really see flaws, except, and we'll talk about this later, um, but I just want to get you kind of thinking about it. There's a, there's a part in the book of Daniel where, like, there's these people that rise up and they want to they want to get rid of Daniel. They're, they're upset at him. They're angry at the way that he stands and believes in God in the midst of the culture he lives in. And what we learn in Daniel is that the only flaw that they could find is, was in relation to how he served God. So the only mistake that you see Daniel make in all of the book of Daniel is that he stubbornly followed God even when every, all the pressures around him said, no, it's time to disobey that law or that way of following God. That was the only flaw. So when, when the people that were trying to like, work up a case against Daniel, um, their go- their, the way that they did that was they figured out, okay, we're going to look for ways that Daniel's religion, his faith in God, conflicts with kind of Babylonian practices, and that's how we're going to get dirt on them, which is kind of this like crazy thing. Anyways, really cool. Um, I do know Daniel was a flawed person. He was a human being. I'm not saying that he was perfect, but it's just in this book, the emphasis is on how he followed God wholeheartedly in the midst of a very, um, 
secular, and I'm going to explain that word as we talk about uh, today's topic, but in a very secular society. Like, he, he was forced to live in a culture and a society that was, was polytheistic. They believed in all kinds of gods. They even believed that there was, like, their leader. Like, so we're going to read about Nebuchadnezzar, and there's another one, Belshazzar. Like, whoever was leader in Babylon was considered deity. That, that person, that man was considered God. That's, that's where, and Daniel served under these rulers and these leaders, and he did so really, really well. And uh, the reason I, I really believe there's a lot that we can learn from the book of Daniel is because we live in a culture and a society uh, that more and more is moving away from belief or faith in God. And, and you might feel this already, but as a, as a Canadian, um, if you're a Jesus follower and you really love Jesus and you really want to follow him and you really want to practice what he says— you kind of feel like an outsider sometimes, right? Um, and so Daniel has a lot to, to teach us about that, and so I'm excited about that. And so today, um, I'm talking about stubborn obedience, okay? So we're going to look at Daniel chapter 1, and I want to talk about stubborn obedience. And uh, this earlier this week, we celebrated, uh, it was Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and uh, I think that was Monday, um, but we celebrated Martin Luther King and we love stories of people who stick to their guns, okay? So um, if you've heard that term, sticking to your guns, <clears throat> it just means sticking to your convictions. If you believe something is true, you stick to it, even if it causes you to suffer, even if it causes you to be made fun of or ridiculed. Uh, I just watched uh, Hacksaw Ridge with my son, and if you haven't seen the movie, it's a, it's a true story uh, about a guy that um, in the Second World War, he didn't believe in using guns, but he also believed he was supposed to go and serve alongside of all of his uh, brothers-in-arms, and he was majorly ridiculed for his stance. And he wasn't condemning the people that were using guns or fighting. He just says, my conscience, I can't. I made God a promise. I'll never pick up a gun, and I'll never fire it at somebody. And so he stuck to his guns, okay, which for him meant not sticking to his guns, okay? So it's kind of a weird uh, play on words. But anyway, he stuck to that, and then at the end of the movie, like, he's, you, you see this guy as a, as a hero. And God did some pretty miraculous things. And if you read the real story, it's actually even more impressive than the movie, surprisingly. Hollywood downplayed it a little bit because they were like, well, the miracles are going to seem too hard to believe. Um, but the real story is pretty cool. But this guy stuck to his guns. And there's people like uh, Martin Luther King stuck to his guns and was actually killed for it and, and saw liberation and saw freedom. Um, Rosa Parks, we love, we love uh, celebrating people like that. Uh, I want to draw your attention to this guy, and I've talked about him before, Eric Liddell. Um, he's a, he was a famous Olympic gold medalist. He won uh, the 400-meter dash in 1924 in the Paris Olympics. But the reason Eric Liddell's name, and there's a movie about him called Chariots of Fire, and you can see the whole thing kind of played out. Um, but what's really cool about Eric Liddell is he went to the Paris Olympics, and his, his uh, top heat, that what he was really good at, was the 100-meter dash. And so he gets there. And the 100-meter dash was supposed to be run on a Sunday. And Eric Liddell's conviction was that he wouldn't do anything on the Lord's Day. Okay, so for him, Sunday was a day of rest, and he had committed to God, I won't do any work, I won't compete, I won't do anything on a Sunday, it's for you. Well, he was like the favored person to win the 100-meter dash. And so this is the Olympics. It's worldwide, and so there's tons of pressure. And the movie kind of does a good job of showing all the pressure, but everybody's putting pressure on Eric Liddell, like, just run, like, God's not going to be mad at you, okay? Like, you're not going to go to hell. Like, you, you can run this race. And, he, and, I, and I think he did wrestle with it and, and try to figure out whether he should do it, but he, he felt that in his heart that he was to stick to his guns. He was supposed to be stubbornly obedient to God. That was a deeply held conviction that he didn't, 
wasn't supposed to run on a Sunday. So he doesn't. And what was incredible is um, he goes on to run the 400-meter uh, race, which was not his best, and he won. He was an Olympic gold medalist um, who was stubbornly faithful to, to serving God, even though he had all kinds of pressure from the world to, like, you know, just, just forget. You don't have to, you know, stick to your convictions on this one. Even amid all of that, he, he stuck to his convictions. He was stubbornly faithful to God. Um, he goes on, he wins this gold medal, um, which not all stories, I just want to say too, not all stories end that way. When we stand up for our convictions, God doesn't always give us a gold medal, okay? <laughs> Maybe you're listening to that, you're like, man, if I really stick to this, like, God will give me a gold medal in the Olympics or, or a million dollars. Like, sometimes being faithful to God actually um, means suffering. Sometimes it means persecution. I could tell you lots of stories of people that were stubbornly faithful to God and they died. Uh, and, and due to persecution, um, due to all kinds of things. And so being stubbornly faithful, we don't do it because we're like, well, I want to get a gold medal like Eric Waddell. What is so cool about studying the lives of people that, that took these principles seriously was that they didn't, they didn't hold to their convictions because they wanted some earthly prize. They held to their convictions because they actually believed God. The, the, and, and I'm convinced, and one of the things that we're going to learn from Daniel, I, I believe the thing that... Um, today, if, if you can go away with, will we'll make my heart <laughs> leap for joy that I've communicated this, this well to you, is that above all, that your underlying desire would be to please God. Like when you face the challenges and difficulties of living in this society, in this culture that we live in, that when you make your decisions about what to do and what to be a part of and what not to be a part of and when to stand your ground, that your underlying desire would be that you would just desire to, to live in a way that honors God, that that's what you would think about, pray about as you make really difficult and challenging decisions. So uh, before I read um, from Daniel, we're going to read some, uh, um, about half of Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'm going to tell you why before we read it. But I want you to know where Daniel is in the Bible, and there should be a graphic on here yeah, it didn't come through the way I... <laughs> that, that looked a lot different when I uploaded it, and I wasn't sure how it was going to look, so you can just forget that. Um, you can look at it for a sec. Don't take it off, Brian. Um, I, I was hoping that the, uh, the titles would, would show up. But this is kind of a biblical timeline, so those little circles represent different years. And I just want you to understand where we are with Daniel. So um, just to familiarize you in a really brief way with the biblical story, um, the, the story about Israel the people of God, okay, starts out with a guy named Abraham. God calls Abraham and says, hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then all kinds of craziness happens. Abraham never actually sees God's promise fulfilled in his lifetime. And so um, we, and if you're familiar with the story at all, Joseph leads the people of Israel, his, his father's family, to Egypt where they spend 400 years as slaves, okay? And so just even thinking about, you know, some of this history is really cool. God gives this people group, Israel, a promise that they're going to be a great nation. They're going to bless all the nations of the earth. Uh, and not long after that, they go and they spend 400 years in Egypt as slaves. So there would have been lots of people that were born, lived their lives, and died in Egypt, knowing that there was this promise, but not actually seeing it fulfilled. Moses comes along and, and helps liberate the people of Israel from slavery. So he, he leads them away from Egypt, and it's an incredible story of God doing miraculous things, and the people of Israel are free. 
And then once they get to the promised land, you know, Moses dies, Joshua takes over. Once they get to the promised land, things go really bad. They go south really, really quickly. There's all kinds of like division amongst their leaders. And that we, you, you, if you study the book of Judges, you see like a really brutal time in the history of Israel where people do horrible things. They kind of set up a law in their own hearts. And then God raises up a prophet named Samuel who anoints Israel's first king. His name is Saul. Uh, so Saul, uh, after Saul comes David and then Solomon. And Israel is this incredible nation. Okay, you still following me? Just, I just want you to understand where Daniel is. So Israel becomes this great nation. Solomon is like the most famous king around. He's super rich. He's super wealthy. You've got kings and dignitaries coming from countries all over the place to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So they're starting to see God's promise fulfilled, where they're like a blessing to all the nations because people are coming from all over the world just to hear Solomon's wisdom, and he's telling them about God and who God is. And then things go really bad again. Solomon's son takes over as king, and the nation of Israel is split. So you've got like a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom is where you've got like the, when you hear the term Samaritan, um, that's where that comes from. The northern kingdom in Israel, they actually moved away from worshiping God. They were like, well, we're just going to do what all the nations around us do. We're going to worship false idols and all this stuff. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, they stay faithful to God. So that lasts 150 years or so. And then things get really bad. They all walk away from God. They abandon following God. And, and God allows this massive nation, this massive kingdom called Babylon to come in and absolutely destroy Israel. Okay, so they destroy this southern part of Israel, which was the only place left that was hold, like being faithful to God. So northern Israel, all those tribes, they had already walked away from God and they had you know, done horrible things and God punishes them. But now southern, the, the southern part, Judah, they, they are destroyed by this foreign king, Nebuchadnezzar, and this, is, and this is what I really want you to, to, um, to see, is, is where we're at in this story. So um, Daniel is a part of a group of young, super brilliant guys who were faithful to God, um, who were very you know, successful, and they get abducted and taken to this foreign kingdom, and they're forced to serve this King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and uh, there's a, a slide up here. There was two ideas um, in Israel at the time. And so this will be the one with Hananiah and uh, Jeremiah, if I... Okay. Just so, if there's ever like a, a problem with slides, it's my fault, not the, <laughs> not the tech team <laughs> with how I put it in. So I'm glad that worked out. So um, there's two ideas, okay, in Israel at the time. And, and so this is important. And this is why I want to read a little bit of Jeremiah to you. So there's a prophet named Hananiah who... So all of this, this has happened, okay? So the people of, of God, Israel, they have seen, you know, them become established as a nation, and then they see their people walking away. And Hananiah, he's this prophet during the time, and he's saying, Babylon is bad. They're, they're evil. They worship all these false gods. They think that their king is a god. They think that he's a deity. Like, we, we can't allow this to happen. And, the, and he gives this false prophecy. He says, God is going to destroy Babylon in two years. Babylon's evil. Babylon, like, stay away from Babylon. They're, they're, they're secular. They're wrong. They're bad. And, and we, can't, we can't have anything to do with Babylon because they're, they're evil. We're the ones that have, we're the, ones that have the, the Bible, the stories of, of Moses, the stories of, of, of the, the judges and God raising up prophets. Like, all that stuff to do with Babylon, that's bad. That's evil. And then you've got Jeremiah, the other prophet, and he's telling the people, he's saying, you are going to be exiled. You're going to be taken into Babylon for 70 years. Babylon is very secular. They're not, 
they're not Christian. They don't believe the Bible. They believe in all kinds of false gods. Their culture is very different than ours. They teach things that are offensive to us, okay? And, and these two prophets were, were at odds with each other. It was an idea in Israel at the time where there were some people saying, let's embrace where we are. Let's, let's thrive in the city we're called to live in. But some Israelites were saying, no, like it's evil. We want nothing to do with it. What I want to say to us today is that these two ideas are still very much alive even in the church today. So Canada um, is not a country that publicly says, hey, we love Jesus, right? You, you don't, like when you flip on the news and you see like the, I was going to say presidential debates, that would be, when you see people um, going to be the prime minister and the debates happening for prime minister or whatever, you don't see people arguing over whether or not we're going to worship and honor Jesus, right, publicly, like in the news. That's not something that happens. Like as a, as a nation, as a country, we, wouldn't, we don't see um, the leaders of our country publicly talking about God. It, it's, it's, a, it's a country that has moved away uh, from that in a lot of ways. And within the church, there are a couple ideas. There's, there's an idea amongst people in the church that are like, hey, anything to do with Canadian culture, society, it's all bad, it's all evil, stay away from it. Don't, don't have anything to do with it. And then, and then there's this like, other idea that's like, well, let's honor Jesus, let's honor who God is, but we're a part of this culture, and so let's, let's embrace that, let's pray for the prosperity and the blessing of our culture, and let's, let's, kind of, let's be a part of that. There are these two ideas that exist. What we see between Hananiah and Jeremiah is something that still exists today, uh, and in, in as simple of terms as, like, you know, what kind of music is okay to listen to as a Christian? Or what kind of movies are okay to watch? Like, if we open the floor today for discussion about what movies were okay to watch, we would probably get into some pretty heated arguments over that, right? Or what, what is okay to study? What's okay to, you know, let into your mind? And what I want to look at today is Daniel is immersed in a culture that has, the, has a, a very similar approach to doing things as, as we see today. And I want to look at how... He, he did that. So we're going to read um, just the first part of Jeremiah 29. You guys all know that uh, really famous verse from Jeremiah 29 that says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for... Well, I want to read to you the context of that today. Because we, we, we read that and it's like this really fluffy kind of like, ah, oh, God's plans for me are just so wonderful and great. And um, the con- it's not that God's plans for us are not wonderful, but the context of, of, of that uh, statement from God is, is, is different than we might think. So I'm going to read the first part of Jeremiah 29. And this is Jeremiah's word. So if you want to look at what Hananiah said, you can read 28. Um, but we'll look at what Jeremiah is saying to these people that are about to go to a place that's really um, secular, for, for lack of a better term. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and the artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shaphan, and Gamaria, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. So this is what he's saying. These people, they're leaving, okay, so they're, they're leaving the, the, the nation that was, you know, committed to following the ways of God. They're, they're leaving the nation that would say, yes, the scriptures are true. God is real, okay? And they're going to a place that, that acknowledges none of that. And here's what he says. He says, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, 
and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. So if the city does well, you'll do well. If the city doesn't do well, you won't. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they're telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. And as I'm reading this, I'm just thinking about even within the church, there's lots of people that claim to speak on behalf of God. And throughout Scripture, you see this happening a lot where God says, don't listen to that prophet. Don't listen to the dreams they tell you. Don't, when they say, I felt this or I sensed this, like, don't necessarily take it as, as if it's me saying it. I, I don't know about you, but I read this and I'm like, I resonate with what Jeremiah is saying even now today. Because if you listen long enough in the church, there's all kinds of voices and some people would claim that they're speaking on behalf of God. And God says, be cautious with that. Sometimes people do speak on behalf of God, but his warning here is don't just take someone's word for it because they claim to be saying something from God or because they claim to have had an experience with him or a dream. Like Jeremiah is saying, here, I'm going to set the record straight. Here's what God is, is saying. So God says, I have not sent them. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I've promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. So I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Seventy years is a long time. That means somebody could have been born and died in captivity and their whole life is spent there. And so when God says, I know the plans I have for you, he, he was saying, yeah, I'm going to be with you, but the times are going to be difficult. He says they're, they're plans for, uh, for hope and not for disaster. But if you're, if you're going to track with us through this series, you're going to see there's, there's times when the king of Babylon would set up a false idol and he would demand everybody bow to this idol. If you don't, I'll tear you limb from limb. I'll throw you into a burning furnace. So for the people living in those times, like, and they're thinking about Jeremiah 29, 11, like you and I, I think we hear that and we're like, oh, God's plans for me are like, he's going to give me a gold medal. Guaranteed gold medal, uh, just like Eric Liddell or whatever we think of. But what God is saying here is his plans are for us. They're with us. But it's sometimes in the midst of difficulty. It's in the midst of suffering. It's in the midst of persecution. And he was giving people the strength that they needed to take a stand on following him and his ways. So we're going to go to Daniel chapter 1. I just want to read um, this chapter as well. And I'm reading more portion of the scripture uh, today. Usually I like reading a smaller chunk and really just digging it up, but there's some things in here that are really important. And this story in Daniel 1 is really easy to follow because um, it's, it's, it's told in story form. But I want you, I want you to notice as we're reading this uh, is that Daniel and his friends um, just think about what it was really like for them to go through what they went through. And, and then also think about what it was that motivated them to, to do what they did and take the stand that they did. So Daniel chapter 1, 
It says, During the third year of King, Jeho- King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over the King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. God permitted him to do that. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. You know, what's interesting tidbit in this is that there's only two Old Testament books that are written in Aramaic, but the language of the Jewish people was Hebrew, and even Daniel, most of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic, a language they would have picked up from Babylon. Can you imagine the controversy that would have been around at the time to take and change even the, the language that you're giving prophecies from God in? And, and in the scriptures that we have today, there's only two Old Testament books that are written in Aramaic, and it was from people that were influenced in Babylon. And God still used that language and bits of that culture to speak to his people. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. Then they were to be trained for three years, and they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, Azariah was called Abednego. My friend's mom, when it was bedtime, she used to say, uh, my shack, your shack, and to bed we go. (laughs) That's how we remember the name. Uh, But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and the wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, But he responded, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. It's interesting here, I'm going to finish the last few verses, but Daniel takes a really strong stance on what he will do as far as his actions. So he, he's stubbornly faithful to God by saying, I'm not going to eat that food. And so if you're not familiar with um, the Old Testament, like there were certain foods Israelites were not to eat. And so Daniel drew the line with, with the, those that were in power. He said, I won't, I'm not going to disobey God. But he was okay with studying the literature and the culture of the Babylonians. 
So he's studying some things that would have been offensive. And I just, and I like to just think about what kind of would have happened or took place, but I know there would have been arguments of, of, of people from Israel saying, you can't study that stuff. It's all evil. It's bad. It's wicked. You know, they're, they're, they're acknowledging other gods or other deities. Like, you can't study that stuff. And so where Daniel drew the line, and, and we have to wrestle with what that looks like in our own lives, but where Daniel drew the line was, was he studied these things. He was a part of that group of young men that were learning all of the ways of Babylon, the literature, the culture, the language. But he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't disobey God in something that was clear from the Scriptures. That was the line that he drew. In verse 18, I'll read the last uh, few verses. It says, when the, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. And so, I, I love the story of Daniel. I want to just emphasize this, okay? So this is the, I'm going to give you three um, lessons to be learned later, but the, the one, if you're going to remember one thing, if you're going to make a decision on what to remember uh, from today, we're talking about stubborn obedience, but the deepest desire of Daniel's heart was to please God. So as Daniel had to make really difficult decisions and he had to live in a culture that was considered secular, the deepest desire of Daniel's heart was to please God. So in 2011, there was a scientific census-based analysis um, that was done that forecasted, and we, this, is, this is crazy, forecasted that Christianity would soon die out altogether in Australia, Austria, Canada, the Czech Republic, Finland, Ireland, New Zealand, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. Okay, so in 2011, it was a scientific research-based study, and they were saying Christianity will all but die out in these, these nations. Canada is considered a, a secular place to live. And, and I, I said earlier I would talk a little bit about the word secular. It might surprise you to learn that the word secular, a couple hundred years ago, what it referred to was a priest that worked in a parish as opposed to a monastery. Okay, so, so in the Catholic Church, and this, just so you understand a little bit of the word, we use it today to just say anything that's not Christian. Um, but the way that that word came into use was that in, in the Catholic Church, uh, a lot of people that trained to be in the priesthood, they would go and live in a monastery, away from the world, not influenced by, by the thinking and ways of the outside world. But then for priests that worked in a parish, so similar to what I'm doing here would be considered a parish, working with people that are having jobs that aren't in the church, that, the priest that did that, that was like a secular priest. Isn't that interesting? It was secular because they were immersed in the world. They were like involved with people that had regular jobs. They were plumbers and electricians and teachers and whatever, firefighters. And so that was considered secular. And today it's kind of morphed. When we use the word secular, we mean anything that has, doesn't have to do with, with God. But to, so Canada um, is a very secular country. And what I want to um, ask you to think about, and I know this is something that you, you probably do, and and we're not all going to land on the exact same place with this, which is why the biggest thing I want to emphasize to you is that, like Daniel, I want to encourage you to have the deepest desire of your heart. May that be that you would please and honor God. So in this country, what, what do we do with 
some of the movies that, that maybe we watch on, on Netflix or, or Amazon Prime? What about music? Should, I, I remember when I was younger, my, my parents, like, I, I had a really unique and weird upbringing, and so I grew up kind of, like, exposed to basically everything. Like, I grew up uh, at a homeless shelter, and it was a drug rehab center, but it was also, like, very, very conservative in that, like, I, I didn't listen to any secular music. I actually thought that was really bad. Um, and I remember, like, I was at some church event, and I get into the car with somebody, and we were driving home, and they had, the, like, the radio on, and it wasn't the Christian radio, and I questioned whether these people actually knew Jesus. <laughs> I was like, Christians do that? Like, you, like, they're listening to the radio? And I remember with, with Halloween, like, growing up, um, we weren't allowed to, to celebrate Halloween. Like, in my mind, as a, as a young person, Halloween was, like, Satan's birthday, okay? So I remember uh, I went to my friend's house, and he came to the same church as me, and he had gone out for Halloween, and I remember him, he offered me a can of Pepsi that he had gotten while he was trick-or-treating, and I was like, I, I think I said no, and I went home and I asked my parents, I was like, is it okay to take something from somebody who went out for Halloween? Like, I was so, like, convicted by that, and then as I grew up and realized, like, people land in different places on some of these issues, um, and in the church, like, there's actually churches that would divide over some of these issues, and some of them are, you know, complicated and difficult, but we live, like the point I'm making is that we live in a society and a culture that is very secular. And so as a follower of Jesus, where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line when it comes to music? Where do you draw the line when it comes to media? Where do you draw the line if you're, if you're going to go to university to study whatever, social work or whatever it is, like where do you draw the line with what you take in, what you study? Where, where does that line get drawn? I think there's something really valuable we can learn from Daniel. Daniel was immersed in this culture, and he had, on good authority, Jeremiah says, you know, to all of these young exiles that are going off to Babylon, he says, just embrace this place where you live. Em- embrace it. Pray for their prosperity. Be a part of it. He, he gave Daniel permission. It's okay to study Babylonian literature and culture, but don't allow it to cause you to disobey God. And so some of us like, that are in here, like, we may draw the line in different places as far as what we'll take in and what we won't. You know, I've got friends that have a, like, way stronger convictions than I do when it comes to media and movies. And, and one of the things that like, I've uh, decided in my heart is like, I don't ever want to convince someone to go against their convictions. Okay, so um, if we had a conversation today about what to listen to or music or what we read or whatever, we would have different convictions in different places, and I think it's super important to, to honor each other and to respect each other. Um, it's okay to have uh, a different view on, on where you land on some of these things, because it's not like the Bible says, well, this is, this is exactly what you're allowed to do in reference to, you know, music or, or culture when you live in a secular culture. Um, and, and those conversations are good, but the underlying, the principle that should drive us is, do you, as a follower of Jesus, like Daniel, do you have a desire to please and honor God? Is that, is that your underlying desire? And so Daniel, amazingly, was able to study all kinds of things in Babylon that would have been very offensive to his faith, but he would not allow that to cause him to disobey something that was clear in, in the Scriptures. He didn't allow it to, to like cause his actions to disobey. And so as, as you and I wrestle in, in where we live, what I would encourage you is like, do you have that as your, like, like is your desire to say, God, I just want to please you? 
And, and not with guilt or condemnation. I think sometimes that kind of thinking, I remember hearing this kind of thing when I was younger, and I'd feel guilty about everything I, I used to watch. I remember watching movies when I was like probably 13, 14 years old and leaving partway through the movie to go up and repent for something that came to my mind. I was like so afraid that God was angry at me. I was so afraid that he was mad at something that I did or something that I thought about. Like I would literally walk upstairs, kneel at my bed, and just ask God to forgive me of something. And, and I've gotten away from, from doing that or living in that kind of fear, <laughs> um, even though fear of God is actually a good thing. Um, but it's, it's the, the fear of God that's healthy is a fear of, of, of him that just reverences and honors him and who he is and recognizes that he's, he's God, I'm not. And I believe as, as Canadians in this culture and in this place we live, we can actually um, decide that we're going to honor God in all that we do. Uh, I don't have time to, I, I wish I had time to get into some more specific examples of, of things with our culture, but um, let me just give you three, and this should be up on the screen, uh, three lessons from, from Daniel, uh, and then I'll, I'm going to give an, an illustration of that and, and give us some time to reflect. But three lessons from Daniel, the first one is what I'm, I'm saying to you, the deepest desire of Daniel's heart was to please God, and, and I encourage you to, to wrestle with is that true for you? Is, is the deepest desire of your heart to please and honor him? Second, Daniel did not allow the culture around him to influence him to disobey God. So what I'll say in reference to, you know, movies or music or what you're reading or what you're studying, does it influence you to disobey God in a way that is clear? If so, you probably shouldn't be partaking in it or doing it. Like, is what you're taking in leading you to disobey God in a way that you know is disobedient? If it's, if it's leading you to actually disobey, then bring that to God. Have a conversation with him about that. Uh, the third thing, Daniel did not allow his convictions to turn him into a legalist. Uh, so I want to finish with, and you can just leave that, that slide up there. Um, I want to finish with an illustration. So I talked about Eric Liddell at the beginning um, of the sermon. And my, the reason I like talking about Eric Liddell, that last point that I have on there about not uh, becoming a legalist, Eric Liddell, he went on, after he won the Olympic gold, he went on to be a missionary in China. So he moved there, he lived with his wife and kids, um, and this is in the like late 20s, 1920s. And in the 30s, so early 30s, mid 30s, um, Japan invaded the part of China where he was. I think it was eastern China. And things got really heated. And he sent his wife, Florence, to Canada. So she, and they never saw each other again. It's, it's a really sad story. He has one daughter that he never met. Um, so they came back because things got really bad. And he actually was captured, and he was forced to live the rest of his years in a prison camp. So it was a Japanese prison camp. What's fascinating, this, this story with Eric Liddell just rocks me. So Eric Liddell was like the spiritual figure in this prison camp. There's tons of stories. They used to call him Uncle Eric, and he was such an influence on all these kids um, that were in there and the adults, and he led worship services, and he, he helped the kids do sports. And what he did was, was he organized sports in this prison camp, and he was the referee. But he refused to referee on a Sunday, right? But the kids would still play on Sundays, and what happened was like there was so much fighting and bickering amongst each other um, that it was just, like, really, really getting out of hand. And Eric Liddell, like, really wrestled with this, but he prayed 
and he felt God give him permission to referee games on a Sunday. What baffles me, like this is what like, makes me excited about Eric Liddell, was like when the world was giving him pressure to go against his conviction so that he could compete in the Olympics, he was like, no, I'm not doing that. Like that's, that's not why I would change, you know, my, my conviction or alter what I believe on it. Like when the whole world was watching and there was tons of pressure, it would have been a lot easier to do it for the sake of like all of the glory he would receive from man. He refused. He, he stuck to his guns. He was stubbornly faithful. But then in this prison camp, he was, he was so, he loved these kids so much, and he really believed God wanted him to continue to be a positive influence, that he actually would referee these games on a Sunday. And I, like, I, like, his motivation for doing that has just deeply convicted me, like, is our desire actually to please God? Because sometimes there's people that they live out less like, I'm going to please God and I'm going to resist everything. And you almost become like a legalist where it's like, I don't know, you, you kind of get your identity in just standing against everything in the culture, right? You get your identity out of being like, well, I want nothing to do with it. I'm going to push it all away. And, and it becomes kind of about the legalism and not about just honoring and loving God. Well, Eric Liddell, like, he, when nobody noticed, he, was, he, he went for this, like, he, he, he was willing to go and referee on a Sunday. Randy Alcorn says it really well. He says, uh, when it came to his own glory, Liddell would surrender it all rather than run on a Sunday. But when it came to the good of children in a prison camp, he would referee on a Sunday. And so in our, um, and you can put those three lessons back up, and I'm just going to close with that. Um, in, in as, as we make decisions and as we wrestle with what to do and, and how to make decisions in a way that honor God, like, is your underlying desire to be somebody who just lives in a way that pleases and honors God? Does, does what you listen to, read, reflect on, does it lead you to disobey God? If so, bring that before God. Question it. And then thirdly, don't, don't be so obsessed with like being seen as a person who uh, follows God perfectly that you become a legalist. Like learn to recognize when God is speaking, when he's leading you to love other people, and so I'm not giving, like, here's the exact answers. These, these are principles I think that we can prayerfully reflect on and think about as we think about the days and the times that we live in. And so I'm going to invite the, the team to come back up. We're going to close with a couple songs. Uh, and this series, you know, we're going to get into some more, um, more of Daniel's story and, and more of some of the times that he had to resist and what that looked like. But as we go through this, what I encourage you to, to prayerfully think about is um, what is the underlying desire in my, my heart? Do, do I make the decisions I make for the sake of people, for the sake of how it's going to make me look? Or is it truly just to, to serve and honor and please God? Sometimes when we do what we do for God, it actually causes hardships here. But God's promise in, in Jeremiah 29, 11, which I believe Daniel held on to, was my plan for you is, is to prosper you, which I'm sure when Daniel's being lowered down into the lion's den and threatened with his life, like, he's wrestling with that. What was it? How is this blessing, Lord? Where's, where's my gold medal, right? But his desire was to honor and please God, and I, and I believe that that has to be our desire, um, and, and I'll say this to you in, in closing as we pray. You can't stand up for, for God, for truth in your own strength, it's something that Jesus enables you to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, and we have to live in constant surrender to Him um, to, live, to live that out. So let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll close with a couple songs. Lord, um, I just thank You for Your Word, and 
Lord, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in Daniel, and I feel like even talking about this topic, there's so many areas and things that we could have gone that we, we didn't. I don't know what everybody in this room or people tuning in, um, what they're faced with, what decisions they have to make, what their, what their lives look like in the day-to-day, but you do. And I just pray that you would help us, Lord, to be the kind of people that desire to honor you. That you would help us to be the kind of people that can love and serve under uh, a king that wants nothing to do with you. That, that love and serve in the middle of a culture that wants nothing to do with you. Daniel, Daniel's able to do that and he had favor and he blessed those around him. But he, he served you faithfully. And, and he did it without being condescending or judgmental. But he was, he was stubbornly faithful to you. And I just pray, Lord, that you help us to be like that. And God, we realize we can't do that in our own strength. We need, we need you. Uh, and so I just pray that you would, would lead us and guide us to be the kind of people that live in such a way that honors you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.